Hi, I'm Jeff Ranke, Editorial Director of Manufacturing.net and Manufacturing Business Technology. Welcome to Security Breach. According to a recent report from security provider Barracuda Networks, 94% of the industrial organizations they surveyed have reported a security incident since July 2021, with 60% of these enterprises saying their most significant incident resulted in downtime of at least two days, with some extending longer. Couple this with previous data from IBM placing average recovery times at close to three months and the financial and production losses alone, saying nothing of the potential IP and data losses resulting from these hacks, should be making buy-in from executives controlling the security investment funds a little easier to obtain. And as the number of IoT-related connections, software integrations, artificial intelligence-powered processes, and expanded automation applications continue to grow, the need for smarter OT security tools and strategies will continue to escalate in terms of priorities for manufacturer investment. Before we talk to our guest for this episode, we're excited to announce that Security Breach is being sponsored by Rockwell Automation. For more information on their cybersecurity solutions, you can go to rockwellautomation.com. And now it's my pleasure to welcome Pete Lund, VP of Products for OT Security at OpSWAT, a leading provider of cybersecurity and infrastructure defense solutions to offer some insight on the latest threats and strategies related to OT security. Pete, thanks so much for joining us today. Kind of jumping right into it a little bit, maybe you can talk to us a little bit about some of the biggest OT vulnerabilities that you're seeing that hackers are just really gravitating towards and, and taking advantage of. Yeah, so so no shortage of vulnerabilities in <laughs> the OT space, and uh, they're ever-growing. But honestly, the biggest uh, compromises that we see are often because of just people or process or misconfiguration. Oftentimes, you know, OT has a very hard exterior. You know, it might be, you know, a company that's relied on an air gap for a long time and now someone's, you know, accidentally uh, compromised that air gap or the specialty nature of the equipment makes it very, very uh, difficult to understand. But as OT becomes more like IT with things like connecting to the cloud and in IoT, it's oftentimes very much uh, user error configuration based or just kind of poor separation and, and segmentation are the, the main killers that uh, that are getting folks. It's less on the actual vulnerability side. So in those instances, are you seeing companies finding them in time or does it typically take something bad happening for them to realize that some of these connectivity issues are taking place? It's a little bit of both. So the industry has had a strong focus on what we call, you know, asset visibility or network visibility over the last, say, five years, you know, U.S. utilities kind of being at the forefront with things like NERC SIP. But uh, visibility is great. And oftentimes, you know, you've got that adage of I don't know what I have. I can't protect what I don't know that I have. And folks will put in that visibility step and then it's all of a sudden uh, oh my God, I have all these problems. It becomes, you know, you start to see the elephant and now you're like, well, how do I begin to eat this thing, right? And the industry is kind of at an inflection point where everyone has done something for visibility, you know, used a vendor like OpSWAT or is using manual process or is leveraging something from IT. Everyone has done something to gain that visibility. So they're getting really good at knowing their problems. They're getting really good at you know, watching the bad guys, you know, kind of inch towards their doorstep. We get in conversations with customers like, oh, yeah, we see it coming. We know they're probably going to breach one of these firewalls, you know, in the next couple of days. It's just a matter of time before they stumble on one that we've forgotten about, you know, an old legacy environment, a backup zone. And folks are now starting to, you know, take bites off of that elephant. But it's a, it's slow and steady. 
Yeah. A couple of interesting points there in terms of the, the whole defense planning. We've heard more and more about sort of taking inventory of all those different assets and, and being accountable for them. What are, what is the first step there? Is it just is it as simple as doing a physical count? Is or what are you seeing as some of the best practices? I guess in generating that inventory list to make sure everything's covered and defended. Yeah, so definitely start with your crown jewels, and this is something that uh, you could even do with little to no budget. Start with that you know physical walk down or or pulling a partner to do a low cost assessment where they simply walk around and will tabulate you know your assets and your crown yeah. jewels might be the the PLCs or robots that are controlling your your industrial process. And then you can start to do some kind of threat vector analysis on that. So without spending millions of dollars, you can start to introduce, you know, lots of protection. Of course, you know, the cyber folks love tools and I certainly love recommending and selling folks tools. Uh, but oftentimes, you know, when you deploy a tool, uh, you sort of get a sense of uh, false security, right? Well, I've just got the latest and greatest tool from my favorite vendor. Uh, it's going to provide me all this amazing visibility and security. But cybersecurity at the IT or the OT level is still very much uh, people in process. Right? So you've got to make sure that those tools are providing true value and understanding uh, what your process is like. And they've got to provide the right amount of data at the right time. So oftentimes a lot of visibility solutions will uh, not only just overwhelm you with your problems, but overwhelm you with a lot of noise. There's lots of uh, hype around things like machine learning and AI solving all the cybersecurity problems. And oftentimes they fall very, very short. They might you know, pick up something and see that attacker as being abnormal, but at the same time, they're going to also flag lots of normal things and you're left with kind of an ocean to, to sort through. Yeah, it makes sense. You brought up another interesting dynamic there. I'd love if you could just sort of walk us through sort of the mindset and maybe even best practices when you say people can see the hacker coming, they can see them that they're probing, they're trying to find the, the weak link or the vulnerability, and they're sort of waiting for something to happen. <laughs> what, do you, what, do you, what is the best place to be or how do you handle that kind of situation? That would, that would seem sort of mind uh, bending a little bit. Yeah, it's it's extremely hard because often at that point, it's almost uh, too late, right? You can't really change your security posture if you're under uh, significant attack. What oftentimes folks will do is try to harden their exterior by temporarily shutting down, you know, uh, external email access or uh, customer facing portals. Uh, it just becomes a very, um, very triage kind of war like uh scenario and it uh it can be pretty scary uh the best thing really to avoid that situation is to to do a lot of the incident response and practice right i like uh folks very rarely invest in the right amount of ir practice you know everyone wants to have a retainer of experts available and certainly those services are available from companies like opswat but really having your own internal process you know Imagine what happens if your your HMI is ransomware. Uh, yeah. Run through that activity in a QA environment. Uh, what does it look like? Do you have to call your OEM? Do you have to call ABB and Schneider to get them there to, to reconfigure that? Well, be prepared for what that bill looks like and the time commitment required and understanding what that costs you from a downtime standpoint. So it's really it's a really hard scenario to be in because oftentimes folks will want to uh, buy those, you know, fancy tools, but really, again, kind of harping on that 
people process and practice when it comes to these type of events. And there's lots of experts who can help there, right? If you don't have the the IR teams, you can bring them in, do uh, not only just pen tests, but actually do a threat vector analysis and understand how much trouble you'll you'll be in if you know your crown jewels yeah. are are ultimately ransomware. And luckily, within OT, most of the time, it's usually an IT disruption that actually gets into the the OT. It's usually shut down at an abundance of caution. Uh, it's very rare that we actually get that uh, physical compromise or damage. You know, it certainly does happen, but it's not. Uh, it's not nearly as often as you know. Well, we've managed to get into the billing system and ransomware it, and now we have to you know shut things down because we don't know how far it spread because our visibility wasn't great. Gotcha. Speaking of some of these attacks, are there any new ones that are sort of popping up on your radar in terms of the type of attack? We know these organizations are getting so much more complex in terms of their structure. Any new players to the game that you've been um, sort of noticed? I think a little bit of, you know, everything that's once old was new again. So as folks are getting really good at hardening their uh, exterior posture, you know, putting in firewalls, putting in great visibility solutions, intrusion prevention systems, uh, OT is still a very much a physical world and people are kind of reverting back to the exterior is too hard. Let's go back to using things like USB and, and drop attacks to to yeah. get something through, you know, target a contractor that's, uh, you know, going to be, we know he's going to be working on site. Let's go to the, the Starbucks or the local watering hole that he uh, is hanging out at, see if we can compromise his uh, laptop, see if we can slip some removable media in there. Uh, and that is still, you know, a big threat vector. Uh, the other one, of course, comes from IT. And on the IT side, my counterparts at OpsWalk focus on things like, you know, your email portals or your file upload portals. Those are still kind of wide open to the public and oftentimes don't have the uh, right amount of control or kind of visibility and vulnerability detection, you know, built in there. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of going back to the people are getting really good at protecting uh, the front door, but what about when you have a trusted contractor showing up and you unlock the door and let them in and they're, they're full of, you know, issues, transients, uh, there's that kind of level of trust where you see that familiar face, you know, it's, it's Bob from ABB. He's been here dozens of times. We just kind of like let him right in. Sure. I think there's, there's sort of the big three when it comes to the types of attacks that industrial enterprises are dealing with. Looking at two of them that have really been on the rise, we're looking at malware, which you kind of just touched on with the USB sort of challenge. And then we're also seeing phishing attacks really escalate and not even using email in a lot of cases. We're looking at things like text messages, even phone calls. What are some of the things you're seeing as it deals with those two specific attacks? And maybe what are some best strategies that you might be able to recommend? Yeah, so definitely uh, SMS. We, myself, kind of get them Lots of folks trying to impersonate our uh, fantastic CEO texting me like, hey, Pete, uh, it's Benny. I need your help. I'm like, yeah, I don't recognize this number. And he would have never caught me on this channel. Uh, but that's a great way where you can do some of the um, kind of deep link inspection, because ultimately uh, the attackers are going to try to get you to click on a link or try to take some sort of action against something that's been weaponized. So you can do some kind of link reputation analysis and put in some of those systems in place that when a user does accidentally uh, click on it, have things like uh, CDR, where you can actually build up the content that they were accidentally clicking on in a safe way, or you know, basically tell them, yeah, that link you clicked on isn't reputable and you're not gonna be able to actually 
link to it, access it without contacting IT first. You kind of have to prove your ability. And then the other part is just putting uh, posture checking and compliance tools on transient assets. So maybe it's people's cell phones, uh, tablets, you know, work from home computers or computers that are coming in and out of the yeah. environment. Make sure they have the right level of protection in place because ultimately it's going to be the security of the device, which compromises the security of the whole brand. The third sort of big um, attack that the industrial, um, industrial enterprise faces is ransomware, obviously. And you touched, you touched on that before. So a couple of thoughts there. First of all, anything new you're seeing in terms of the types of attacks or some of the big players? And if you are hit with a ransomware attack, what do you feel is the appropriate response? Do you pay these guys? Do you hold out? What do you advise people to do? Yeah, so that's a fantastic topic. Um, I think we finally did see our first very uh, targeted uh, ransomware attack on kind of deep ICS endpoints. So we saw actually an RTU that was running a very specialty version of uh, Linux get ransomware. Uh, so that was some interesting things we've seen in kind of the, uh, the forums. Uh, but by and large, it has not really made its way into the you know lower level or the Purdue model or the highly segmented uh, segments. But certainly, when and if it does happen, you know you've got to have a good backup posture, and that's part of that good uh, IR and uh, pen test strategy to make sure you have your good backups and they are stored in places uh, offsite. Uh, generally, I'm against ransomware payouts. Uh, it only continues to fuel their fire. And ultimately, you don't know if they're going to give you your complete data back uh, or if they're just going to use it as a way to continue to have a stronghold in your environment. There's really uh, oftentimes folks who are under-resourced, like oftentimes you'll see ransomware attacking folks like hospitals or state and local governments who really don't have the way post-payment to know that the, the bad actors or organization has truly been wiped out of the environment, they might give you your data back just with more backdoors in it, right? So you could just set yourself up for an infinite loop of uh, having to pay them. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Pete, we've talked a lot about the bad guys. Let's talk about some of the good guys here. Maybe you can talk to us a little bit more. You, you've mentioned some of the programs that OpSWAT has, but tell us a little bit more about some of the things that you're doing for, uh, for, all, for the manufacturing sector. Yeah, so what really excites me about working with our manufacturing customers is certainly there's lots of uh, visibility solutions out there, but oftentimes most vendors you'll partner with, uh, they offer a very uh, good, but a very point solution. And at OpSwap, we're all about providing kind of security maturity across the board. So everything from that initial, how do I understand my visibility with our OpSwap Neuralizer tool, which is fantastic, uh, all the way to protective things like industrial firewalls and IPS systems data diodes and unidirectional security gateways really to harden that network side of the OT. And then we get into kind of threat prevention for OT where we have great solutions for removable media scanning. And that's not really a point solution, but it's really helping customers make a workflow and policy around removable media, making it enforceable. So it's just not a scanner at the door that someone walks by. If someone happens to, to walk by it and skip it, we have the ability to actually stop and prevent that removal media from being used at all if it hasn't been qualified. Excellent. And the great thing about OpSwat is we also help on the IT side. We've got things like email security, our multi-scanning and CDR technologies are used in many of those technologies that uh, I've mentioned, as well as things like protecting, you know, your AWS storage buckets, 
as well as just general backup strategies. So a tremendous offering. And on top of that, like I mentioned earlier, we have our OpSwap Training Academy, but we also offer professional services and can help with things like assessments, SOC services, managed services. So really getting uh, and partnering with customers to get them uh, up in maturity. You know, working with all of those different enterprises that you do, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on sort of the topic of transparency. One of the things that I think could really help the industry overall is if people shared a little bit more information when they get hit, when they do get hacked in terms of what happened, what what route did the, did the hacker take, what was the vulnerability, things like that. Others are very reluctant to do that for a number of reasons, which are also understandable. What's your take? Does the industry need to be more transparent? Would that be more helpful in sort of shutting down or at least helping us become better defended against a lot of these bad actors? I think we could, you know, ramp up the transparency a bit, but not go quite as far as, you know, putting it on the the front page of the Wall Street Journal. (laughs) I know there's lots of good uh, forms when you're in your specific vertical. So there's manufacturing forms, there's, you know, electric utility forms. There are ways to do information sharing among those groups, but generally it's around, you know, emerging threats or, you know, countries to worry about, nation states that folks are tracking. Oftentimes the the details of the compromise uh, are not allowed to be shared specifically sometimes by your your cybersecurity insurance provider. They'll put limits on uh, and gag orders on what you can say. Uh, But folks do talk in the right forms and I think we could we could probably move a few notches forward uh, carefully there. Absolutely. One of the reasons that the transparency thing always comes up and it's kind of a hot button issue for me is within manufacturing, we're looking at 85% of all facilities in the U.S. They've got less than 100 people in them. They're relatively small to medium-sized enterprises. And I think there is a tendency for these smaller businesses to feel like we're not big enough, we're not important enough, hackers aren't interested in what we're doing, we don't have to worry about cybersecurity What's your take on that? Or what would you tell some of these smaller manufacturers in terms of, hey, you are on the radar screen. You're just as vulnerable or just as interesting, I guess you could say, as some of the bigger guys. Yeah. Oftentimes, these are the suppliers that, you know, the big the big three actually rely on, right? So yeah. uh, there's a huge network in the industrial manufacturing base uh, that's relied on, right? Folks like uh, GM, they're not making everything themselves, right? They've got third-party suppliers and contractors. And that is oftentimes where uh, your supply chain can be compromised, right? So the first thing is you are the supply chain ultimately to to someone else. And not only are you a threat vector, but at some point or another, you know, that big three vendor that you're working with is going to come back at you saying, what is your supply chain policy? You know, what are your guarantees? Um, Then when it comes to uh, core attacks, uh, it is a little bit scary when we work with some of our prospects and ask, you know, what does your cyber cybersecurity team look like? You know, we oh we have a person, or we outsource it. We're not really sure. Uh, we get these reports occasionally. We don't really look at them because it's just you know things that uh, we're not focused on. Right? They focus on uh, their manufacturing process, their quality metrics. The big thing I like to help uh, kind of get over some of that maturity hump is start to treat cybersecurity like safety. If you're doing a, a process hazard analysis, or you've got you know, proudly, you know, injury free for 365 days. Let's take that same approach with cyber. Let's share some of the metrics and, and get some of that good word of uh, why it's important to be secure, whether it be from supply chain or just industry and reputational analysis. 
Yeah, I think reinforcing a lot of the downtime elements. This isn't, you know, people can understand if a machine goes down and needs maintenance, not always really understanding or appreciating the fact that when you get hacked and you're needing to shut that machine off for a while, that's the same time of downtime loss that you're experiencing. So Yeah, and sometimes that downtime can come in the form of, you know, physical damage. Like if, you know, your generator's been, you know, overrun or someone opened up a relay, that now becomes more than just downtime. It's we've actually got to replace this thing now or have it serviced. Yeah. And the the days, you know, where uh, you can't always make up time in a manufacturing. If you're running, you know, three shifts, there is no way to make up that time where, you know, if you have a ransomware attack on, you know, an IT focused company, their data is compromised. You can ask everyone to, you know, put in three, four extra hours a day to catch up on emails and contracts. But if you're extracting, you know, minerals from the ground or building something, it's really hard to make up that time. Absolutely. So wrapping things up here a little bit, Pete, looking forward, any trends that you're seeing positive really or negative that are going to be impacting, uh, impacting industrial cybersecurity over the next maybe 12 to 18 months? Yeah. So certainly two, the first is folks very, have a very strong need to move beyond visibility. They're like, we've got it. We see all our things. We see the bad things happening. What can I do to safely, you know, limit uh, what can happen when my hard exterior is ultimately breached? How do I stop them from, you know, doing that lateral movement or that next step? So we're seeing lots of customers get serious about uh, actual protective controls. Everyone feels good about visibility, but needs to move on. Uh, the second thing is supply chain. So the big trend now is things like SBOM and supply chain analysis, making sure the, you know, the hardware you're receiving or the software you're receiving is genuine. This kind of comes out of the, the SolarWinds incident where uh, software that was ultimately not genuine was able to do uh, quite a bit of compromise and damage. So those are kind of the two main focuses. And then as things like cloud and other overarching technologies kind of creep in, it's great to see those devices because they do have you know security built in from scratch. Think of it uh, almost like the your home thermostat. It's now got smarts, it's got a password, it's got a secure uh, connection back to the cloud. Uh, but we see folks kind of retrofitting things to the cloud, maybe without some of that security, and they need to kind of think of that. Absolutely. You brought up a term S-bombs, something we don't hear enough of. Could you dig a little bit deeper into there in terms of maybe just define a little bit more what it is for those who aren't familiar, um, how you can go about assembling that and the significance of it? Yeah, so SBOM stands for Software Bill of Material. And ultimately, if you think about uh, software that might run on uh, a, a router or a PLC, it's usually given to you in the form of a single binary or some you know combination of files. Uh, and it's really hard to understand what's in there, right? Was there Java used to compile this? Was there you know .NET used to compile this? Uh, right now, we track things software as, you know, I've used this version of Cisco or that version of OpSwap. Well, underneath that version are many, many other versions that combine to make it so. So what are the pieces and parts that uh, a manufacturer uses to get there? Are they open source? Are they from third parties? So that's getting us down to that next level of understanding our supply chain and ultimately helping us find things like common vulnerabilities where when you see a vulnerability, I'll pick on Java again. Java is used in so many different products, so many different ways across so many different versions and names, it's really hard to know if you're using it or not. And having a good quality S-bomb is actually what uh, what gets you to that answer much, much quicker. 
I would think they become more and more important too as we see a lot of different software platforms being utilized and they're connecting to each other a little bit more effectively than in the past with all this industrial internet of things uh, movement sort of going on. Having that SBOM in place is going to help everybody understand what they have out there in terms of their asset inventory and responding in case there is some sort of attack or vulnerability detected, correct? Yeah, it's really that next level of inventory. So you've got your hardware, you understand, you know, the, the high level software that's on it. But when something for talking cloud, like an MQQT vulnerability comes out, okay, who is using that MQQT package from someone like Silence Blackberry? You know, where is it yeah. used? What third party vendor is using it? And it just helps with that kind of rapid response and uh, ultimate remediation for when the, the big name vulnerabilities come out. Uh, if we rewind back to, want to cry you know how hard was it to find all those unpatched systems you multiply yeah. that by you know ten thousand when you're talking about iot devices there's just so many more of them at risk thanks again pete and for more information on the work opswat does you can go to www.opswat.com that's o-p-s-w-a-t.com thank you for joining us today and to catch up on past episodes you can go to manufacturing.net ien.com or mbtmag you can also check Security Breach out wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple, Amazon, and Overcast. And if you have a cybersecurity story or topic that you'd like to have us explore on Security Breach, you can reach me at jeff at ien.com. For Pete Lund, I'm Jeff Ranke, and this is Security Breach.